is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Now that the CDC eased the mask requirements, a lot of states relaxing their rules, too. But it's leading to some anxiety. People out there nervous about ditching the masks indoors when there are still a lot of unvaccinated people. So we'll look into how you can tame your fears. The idea of vaccine passports, popular in the country's most populated state pandemic could be leading to more deaths of despair. We'll explain what those are and why they're happening. And lots of people are taking vacations again, and it's creating a big hassle for people who want to rent a car. We start with maskless anxiety. Dr. Lena Pearl, clinical psychologist specializing in anxiety disorders. So how do we eventually wean ourselves off of masks? Because we can't just walk around with them forever. That's a good point. I hope we don't walk around with masks forever. And I do think it's important to wean ourselves off of these, uh, ultimately. Um, You know, I think we've used these masks for a long time now to regulate our anxiety. So they've helped us feel safe to move about the world, which is a wonderful thing. Um, And so it makes sense. But now when we try to take them off, we're going to feel our anxiety spike in our bodies. And we're going to start to tell ourselves stories like, "Uh oh, I'm not safe, you know, and start to try to notice things that might um, be dangerous around us. Yeah. So how do I talk to myself when that happens? Because the thing about the mask, right, is I could feel it on my face. I can't feel the vaccine, but I have to know it works. (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah. You know, I think like any anxiety Um, You know, you want to make sure that you don't confuse that feeling of anxiety with actual danger, right? So you don't, you're going to take it down, anticipate feeling a little anxiety, like a little bump. You know, you might feel some worry thoughts, notice your heart racing. What to do in that moment is to really use a voice on yourself that is both compassionate and encouraging, right? So you want to be, say to yourself, you know, it's normal that I feel a little anxious, of course but also I'm safe. I can do this. So you really want to encourage yourself. You know, I've heard uh, some people say, well, you know, look, uh, I'm vaccinated, but if I want to keep wearing a mask and I think it's safer and maybe it'll stop me from getting a regular cold down the road or the flu come next winter, what's wrong with that? And that sounds like a a perfectly uh, reasonable thing, but I'm wondering whether or not at some level, that's psychologically not a good thing. You know, it's not the worst uh, safety behavior in the world to wear a mask. But I would say I think it's very important. I don't think people realize that we use other people's facial expressions in order to regulate our anxiety and move through the world. So I think maybe people noticed when they were wearing the masks, it's kind of scary and anxiety provoking to not know how other people are feeling around you. You know, you can't really tell if they're smiling at you. You can't really make that connection. And that is actually really important for us psychologically to be able to look at a stranger and smile. It helps us know if we're safe. Um, It helps our nervous system regulate. So I do think it's important ultimately to Take a break from the masks. Um, You know, if you're really feeling like you need it, of course, you know, go ahead. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's better than not leaving the house. But um, but it is important to be able to see each other's faces. And probably a little kindness for those who still want to wear them. I mean, be mindful that there are varying comfort levels out there. Don't be hard on anybody else who still has theirs on. 
Absolutely. Be patient with yourself and be patient with others. I think it's going to take a minute for us to, you know, get rid of them or even use them less. And that's okay. Dr. Lena Pearl, licensed clinical psychologist, New York City, specializing in anxiety disorders. The idea of a vaccine passport seems to be popular in California. A new poll shows almost two out of three people in the state support allowing places like stadiums, cruise ships and concert venues to require vaccination proof and negative COVID tests. Most people also like the idea of allowing businesses to require certain workers to get vaccinated. Mark DiCamillo, director of the Berkeley Institute of Government Studies, stated the poll. So, Mark, uh, partisan split here, right? Right. Well, we didn't actually word it as a vaccine passport because I think passport in some ways implies a government-issued document. What we were talking about was vaccine verification. So if uh, there are apps out there that enable uh, businesses to determine whether their patrons uh, have been vaccinated, uh, the public is in favor of allowing that to happen. Uh, There are big differences, though, as you say, by uh, party. Democrats overwhelmingly supportive. Republicans are not. And there's also a relationship between whether you've been vaccinated or not. If people who report that they themselves have already been vaccinated, overwhelmingly supportive of the idea. Those who say they're not likely to be vaccinated are opposed. What about age groups? Any differences there? Not a lot. Really, it's much more partisan and, uh, and, and then the vaccination issue, uh, what your status is in terms of the vaccination. And actually, those two are related because Democrats and no party preference voters are actually more likely to be vaccinated than Republicans. They're more resistant uh, to uh, in, uh, taking on the vaccine. I guess it's a good thing you asked it the way you did, because, you know, you ask a lot of the government agencies how this would work, and then they say, well, we're not really sure how this would work yet. So if it's just going to be up to businesses, well, maybe that's a little bit easier if we're all on some sort of app and there's just standards meant for, you know, my privacy. Right. And we actually had a separate question about the role of government, and that's where you get a lot of uh, contentiousness and there's no real consensus. Only about a third of the voters in California favors the government assuming responsibility for establishing a uniform vaccination verification system. So there's a little bit of hesitancy about the government's role. And I think, you know, that's really why we did not use the term passport, because passport almost implies government uh, involvement. So people have no difficulties with big business giving, you know, apps or, or requiring uh, verification, uh, I think was the word you used right in the questions, but they do if it's government. Right. There's less trust in government, particularly among conservatives and Republicans. Uh, that's the state of affairs right now in, in politics. Uh, a lot of distrust about government. I mean, look at what they're saying about elections. People don't, most Republicans don't even believe the result of an election. It's, it's, it is an unusual situation in terms of public opinion polling, I'd have to say. And I guess if we've learned anything through this, it's it's the sense that businesses are going to have to do what they need to do to get by. And if this is one of the things that they deem this or, you know, continuing the, the mask mandates, uh, sign at Starbucks today said it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. You got to wear that mask before you come in here. Of course, L.A. and California has its rules, but the businesses are going to do what the businesses are going to have to do. Right. And you're already starting to see it in sports arenas. Uh, you see 
certain sections of the stadiums now being reserved for people who can show that they've been vaccinated. So that's already taking place. And, uh, you know, these uh, apps that the businesses are trying to put online, uh, you know, are going to help facilitate that. Right now, you can just bring your uh, uh, verification card with you to try to get into these arenas. But there has to be some facility in order to allow businesses to do that. And the public is basically allowing that. It's just that they have some hesitancy about the government being responsible for that. Mark DiCamillo directs the Berkeley Institute of Government Studies. That new poll out today. A new report shows deaths of despair have been on the rise for the past decade across the U.S., and those are deaths from things like drug overdoses, alcohol, and suicides. Early numbers from 2020 show they might be on the rise even more because of the pandemic. KYW's Matt Leon talked to Jonah Cunningham with Trust for America's Health. They put out the reports, Cunningham explaining what it means moving forward as data from the pandemic starts to really be examined. I mean, it's not an understatement to say the, the pandemic affected Americans in almost inconceivable ways from social isolation, loss of jobs, caring for a sick, a sick loved one, or perhaps losing a loved one to illness. It's a lot of trauma that's been spread out across our country. And some of the stats that we've seen are concerning. For example, the, pre- the preliminary overdose data shows a 27% increase from October 2019 to September 2020. Now, in comparison, from 2018 to 2019, there was only a 5% increase in overdose rates. So pretty startling statistics right there. You talk about the rate increasing for people of color. What Do we have a why to that? Is Are there trends? Are there certain circumstances we can point to why that's shifting? Well, the trends predate 2019. Actually, in 2018, there was a small de- overall decrease in substance use deaths. And that was mainly driven by a decrease in white and the white population. However, communities of color across the board experienced increases in 2018. And so this is the second year in a row. Um, the why, you know, deaths are, are multi-causal, right? They're, they're a result of different reasons. We do know that there's a, a, a lack of culturally appropriate care and perhaps outreach in these communities. Um, there's been studies that have shown just the access of different opioid use disorder treatments like buprenorphine versus methadone and how accessible they are in certain communities. Um, so actually on our recommendation section, we really highlight some of the recommendations for uh, culturally appropriate care, ensuring access in every community to really try to get these trends in the right direction. Overall, how ready, how prepared are we for what, looks like it's going to be a huge spike coming. The bright spot is we've, we have the, the largest increase in um, investment in mental health services ever, but we still have a long way to go. So some things coming down the pike, we have the uh, transition this actually next year to a three digit, digit suicide prevention lifeline number. Some of the COVID rescue plans on the federal level, increased funding for substance use and mental health services uh, through the block grants the uh, substance use block grants double, triple fold, uh, a large increase there, but it takes time to get that money out the door. Um, we know what works. I think the silver line is we know what works. We know what prevention programs can um, really steer uh, children who have been traumatized or individuals in crisis and connect them to the care they need. But it's just about scaling it up, investing in it, and ensuring equitable access to each community. 
And I think I read you guys do state by state. Do you happen to have Pennsylvania, what you saw in Pennsylvania? Yeah. So in 2019, overall, the deaths of despair were down 2% for a total of over 7,200 deaths. But one startling increase was alcohol deaths, which increased 12% for a total of just over 1,000 people in 2019. And do you, is there any prelim data looking 2020? Are, is that broken down state by state or is it just overall so far? Just overall so far. And that's, it's been a kind of a hodgepodge where we have the CDC preliminary overdose data. And then there's also studies like calls to the crisis line that increased as well as the increase in ER visits that we've seen. But again, that's overall, those are sample studies. We don't have it broken down by state quite yet. You talk about some of the things we need to be done as we're looking forward what would be some other recommendations are there other recommendations how we can try to address this uh from a lot of different angles i would imagine yeah i mean it we can look at it through the age through the age groups so for example ensuring school-based mental health resources ensuring counselors increasing uh, the availability of social emotional learning to really help youth that have been isolated. They've had to switch to virtual school. Then we can go down the pipeline where we're making sure that crisis intervention services are available and it's not a blue light issue, but rather a healthcare issue. And just in general, looking at the workforce and ensuring that we're, we're investing in that pipeline to make sure people can access care, that they aren't, when they, they, they have the courage to seek out care, they aren't, uh, they aren't running into barriers. It seems to me, and this is just anecdotal, in the last year or so, there has been much more talk about the importance of mental health. Because I think a lot of people who never struggled before struggled over the last year. Could we look at this if we want to, I don't want to say silver lining because there's been so much terrible things, but kind of a wake-up call for the importance of mental health, which obviously goes hand-in-hand with substance abuse. And maybe we can look at this as a watershed event that really took us in a better direction going forward. That's the hope. Um, You mentioned just kind of breaking the stigma, even talking about mental health like we are. That's a huge first step to let people know that they're not alone, that they can share if they're in pain. Um, Another thing we could do is just sharing resources, like two numbers I'll leave you and your, your listeners with are the Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, which is 1-800-273-8255, and then the SAMHSA Helpline for Substance Abuse, which is 1-800-662-4357. And on top of sharing resources, breaking the stigma, and having those conversations, you can also be an advocate to either your local, your state representatives, or your federal representatives, and let them know that mental health is important and that we need to be investing in ensuring access to care. Coming up after this short break, maybe you should do without the uh, rental car on your next vacation. People are taking vacations again, and it's been quite the headache for some when it comes to renting a car. It's because there's a rental car shortage. So much for a relaxing time. WBBM's Cisco Cotto talks to Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors, explain why the shortage is happening. It's an increase in People are going to destinations where vehicles are required to explore outdoors. But we also have a big factor, and it's attributable to the fact that a lot of the rental car companies sold their inventory during the pandemic. So there's a shortage of supply. And now that they want more cars, there's shortages at car dealers. So the rental companies can't even replenish their stock. Absolutely. And and that's really the impact when you see changes in the marketplace. We have We have these influxes, and we have to... 
really um, be creative in the way we travel and maybe choose destinations where a car is not required. Um, and as it relates to destinations where you travel, there are places that are certainly sold out. Um, places that we recommended last year, again, this year are popular due to the um, ability to social distance outdoors. Those are places like Wyoming and Colorado. So what is the advice if you do need a rental car? Is, is it just go ahead of time? I mean, you know, go ahead and get the plans ahead of time. And how do you make sure you don't get stuck without one? Well, it's really important to determine your travel dates, try to avoid major holidays. We've also noticed that there's more availability when you're returning the vehicle to the same place where you picked it up. Um, and we're also seeing that it's more favorable and more likely that you'll be able to get a rental car if your time frame is extended. It's harder to get a car for a weekend getaway than it is to get a vehicle for a weekly rental. Let's talk about the flights. Uh, still seeing some travel deals. Is that expected to continue? I don't think so. I think as inventory um, becomes less available, we're going to see prices rise. We're also seeing flights sell out, particularly on direct flights. And first class and business class tickets are really hard to come by. And does that just reflect whether it's the rental car shortage or, uh, or or flights that are expected to go up in price? Does that just reflect the fact that the travel industry, it can't just flip a switch and go back to normal. It's really a period of ramping up to get back to normal. You'd be surprised. I mean, we are seeing levels. 2019 was a fantastic year for the travel industry, and we are seeing levels above the performance of 2019. So I think travel with more people vaccinated and people just you know, being tired of sitting home and not having opportunities to visit family and to go to places that travel is on the rise. And I really expect that to continue as long as we can provide safe mechanisms and we can control this pandemic. Any concerns with hotels? We've talked about rental cars and flights. Any concerns with hotels or other accommodations if you're traveling? A lot of hotels are sold out. So I think if you're looking to travel for summer and even into fall, now's the time to secure your confirmations. And also recognize that if you have cancellation policies, you have the flexibility to cancel. But I would definitely start looking into um, having reservations in place for your future travel. And keep in mind, prior to travel, more so now than ever, you're also going to want dining reservations and your activities uh, pre-planned. A British man was on his yacht off the coast of eastern Australia when it started to sink. Police then began what would be a 26-hour rescue effort. The yacht was towed to Newcastle Harbor, north of Sydney. It must have been a tough situation for the man, whose life was clearly in danger. Police, though, didn't care. They processed him and then quickly escorted him to mandatory quarantine in a hotel in downtown Sydney, where he has to stay for two weeks. Australia closed its borders to non-citizens and non-residents in March 2020 because of the pandemic. Doesn't matter if your yacht was sinking off the coast. Rules are rules. Stranded at sea to stranded in the hotel room. Uh, This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Suppose you could have taken it to a kangaroo court. (laughs) 